thank God for that. I'm glad I know a man who can. I don't know what you may be going through this morning, but thank God I'm glad, amen, that he's still alive. I was preaching last night, and God uh, helped me with that, that truth again, that faithful, familiar truth. Our God's not dead. He's surely alive. And he's roaring like a lion. He's living on the inside of us. And we can rest in him. And I'm glad that I know that to be a fact this morning. I'm glad I know that to be true. And uh, I was preaching over in Romans chapter 5 last night. And the Lord helped me toward the end of the message. Well, he helped me all throughout the message. But he helped me especially toward the end. When he got to talking about salvation. Got talking about the, the salvation that we enjoy. Let me read that verse. He said, And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom, by Jesus, we have now received the atonement. He said, Now we joy. Not only so, not just because we're saved, but we joy, we rejoice. Why? That first that verse before that says that we're reconciled by his death, but we'll, we'll be saved, we shall be saved by his life. That's not the life he lived prior to the cross, but it's talking about the life he currently lives today. We are not only reconciled by his death, but we're saved by his life. Because he lives, I can live. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. The songwriter wrote, and life is worth the living. Just because he lives. The last couple of weeks I've been thinking and pondering on some verses that my dad uh, had as his life verses. I mentioned one of them because I've already preached on it before. The Lord may lead me to preach on it again, I don't know. But out of the book of Psalms where David said, I've been young and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. And I preached uh, last week out of Joshua chapter 24, where Joshua makes that declaration to the people of God, If it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, then choose you this day whom you will serve. And then he made this declaration, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Those were two life verses of my dad. I heard him preach and deal with those verses several times throughout his ministry, several times throughout my life. But there's another verse that my dad used as a life verse, and I guess all of these things uh, coming around and going around in our world today and in our lives and, and in the church and different things, uh, I began to think it's the third year, the three-year anniversary of my daddy's passing, and, and I'm not going to say death because he didn't die, but he passed. He left this world and passed over Jordan and went to another world. And so I guess in this third year, I've been really pondering on some of the truths that I've heard from my dad. And this morning, I want to use another verse that Daddy used quite often, especially after he got sick. When he got sick, there were many people that were coming to him, and they were telling him that because of the type of sickness and all that he had and the wear on his body, they were saying that he needed to just stop he needed to quit he needed to take some rest and and lay aside for a while and just let the boys do it and daddy 
Daddy wasn't jealous of us at all, but Daddy wanted to be a part of it, Brother Richie. He didn't, he didn't want to just let the boys do it. And uh, Daddy said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to quit. And this is the verse that my dad would oftentimes quote out of the book of Job, chapter number 13. Job chapter number 13. only going to read one verse this morning. We're going to take a little trip in the book of Job just quickly. We're not going to dwell long on any one single point. Or I say, that we, I say that we won't anyway. I told them last week that I tell you all all the time that I'm going to try to have you out by 12. That's my intentions. Don't know if I'm going to make it, but I'll, I'll try my best. And uh, then last night I followed up that with telling them I'm going to try to have you all out of here by 12 tomorrow. Amen. And there for a minute, as good as God was being to us, as the liberty that I felt in the Holy Spirit that was that in that place, I, I probably could have preached to about 12 this afternoon. And... Uh, but I don't want to dwell very long on any one particular point, but I want to kind of focus in on this one verse. It's one of my daddy's verses. Job chapter number 13, verse number 15. This is a mouthful. Job said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain my own ways before him. He said, verse 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. This morning, for the Lord to help me, I want to look at the truest test of our trust. The truest test of our trust. The emphasis this morning is on the importance of us trusting in God. Adrian Rogers said this, he said, a faith that can be tested is a faith that can be trusted. There were two men that were walking through a field one day and they spotted an enraged bull that was darting toward them. And as he ran toward them, they began to run toward the nearest fence that they could see. The bull followed in hot pursuit and it was soon apparent that they weren't going to make it. They weren't going to make it to the fence. Terrified, the one shouted to the other, Put up a prayer, John. We're in for it. John answered, I can't. I've never made a public prayer in my life. But you must, implored his companion. The bull is catching up to us. All right, panted John. I'll say the only prayer I know. It's the only prayer my father used to repeat at the table. Oh, Lord, for what we are about to receive, Make us truly thankful. You know, sometimes things come to our life and we don't understand. Like a raging bull, they're running toward us and we're seeking everywhere for help. But the truth is that in those times is the times that we must trust Him all the more. That's where Job is in the book of Job chapter number 13. And Job, in the midst of his trial and in the midst of his tests, Job said this, these words of faith. Now listen, Job was not a perfect man as far as the trials go. He was a perfect man as far as the world looking on him. As Jesus said, or God said that he was complete or perfect and, and all of that. And we understand what the Lord said about Job. But as far as Job going through the trial, he, he was a human. He was a man. And Brother Philip, he didn't know why he was going through what he was going through or what was going on in his life. But Job had this to say about where he was at in the Lord, he said that though he slay me, the word there means to kill, means to destroy. Though he destroy me, 
if by serving him I'm still going to be killed, I'm still going to be slayed. He said, even then will I trust in him. I remember the doctors would come to dad and they would say, Mr. Davison, you're going to have to slow down. You're going to have to take it easy. You're, you're going to have to not travel so much. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that. And I've told you this before, I'm sure, but they, one doctor said uh, uh, probably what will happen because they could tell by the wear on his body that he was one of them hard, foot-stomping, devil-chasing, sin-hating, amen, preachers. And, and he was. I watched my daddy Hopper extend his knee preaching one time. And he limped back up to the pulpit and preached like nothing ever happened. Never missed a beat. And the doctor said probably what will happen is, is you'll be up preaching. And in the strain of your delivery, your heart will probably give out. And you'll die right there in the pulpit. And daddy looked at the doctor and he said, Doc, you can't, you can't, uh, you, you can't threaten a Christian with heaven. He said, if I die serving God, what a way to go. And daddy mentioned that, and then he quoted this scripture, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Well, by way of introduction, just to give you my first point, and uh, then look at that, that declaration, Though he slay me. The testing we face, the first thing that we see in the text, the testing that we face. I want you to notice uh, in the life of Job, one thing that we always look at and that we know, from his life is that there was the permission for testing as you study the life of Job there's one thing that's absolutely certain and that is that all the testing that came into his life it came at the allowance or the permission of God can I say to you this morning that God is a sovereign God the Lord has helped me in those uh, truths and that truth over the, uh, over the last several months and weeks of my life that God is a sovereign God and that all the testing that comes in our lives is ordered and ordained by the Lord. Someone has said, and I've repeated many a time, that there are no accidents in life. They're only appointments. Now Satan is very powerful and the earth is his sphere of influence. Uh, he's the prince and the power of the air. He is very active. We're even told in the Word of God to be sober and vigilant for our adversary. The devil is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And by the way, that means you too. Amen. It means all of us. We've got to be aware. We've got to be vigilant. And we've got to have our eyes open, our spiritual minds toward the Lord because Satan is very powerful amen but listen he's active and he is powerful but I got news for you he can't do anything without God's permission there's nothing that comes to you that doesn't first come through God this is obvious from the narrative between God and Satan the first two chapters of the book we read in Job 1 and 12 that the Lord said to Satan behold uh, he uh, uh, that he Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. In Job 2 and 6 we read, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So, so went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. In quick succession, Job suffered many things. In chapter number 1, from the loss of his domestic animals, 
all the way to the loss of his very children. Just a few servants were left to tell the story of the calamity that had taken place on that day. Then in chapter number 2, verse number 7, Job loses his health. He loses all of his uh, bodily uh, health. His, his strength is taken away. He breaks out with sore boils. Many believe that it was leprosy, uh, which would have included a lot of painful, I'm talking about like fire on the inside of your body, protruding out of your skin, uh, bursting up in boils and uh, uh, putrefying sores of pus that would just ooze out and the only relief that he could find for himself is some broken pot shears or broken pieces of pottery that he could take and he could scrape all of the pus and all of the blood and all of the bulls off of his body. To summarize this morning, he loses his possession, his posterity, and he even loses really the support of his partner in life. Now, I don't want to get too bad or too too hard on Miss Job. I'm sure she was broken hearted just like he was at the thought of losing uh, houses and losing lands and losing animals and then most of all losing their children and she's now watching her husband go through such a hard time. But I can also hear Brother Caleb the little whisper of the devil as she mentions, in, uh, mentions a, a maybe a way out to Job, maybe a way of compassion and mercy. Uh, but I can hear the whisper of the devil saying, give up Job. Give up. You can't make it through this. And she said, curse God and die. All of this was at the hand of Satan. But remember this morning that Satan had to get a permission slip from God to come down to Job's house. Are you listening this morning? But not only do we see the permission of the testing in our life, but we also see the purpose of testing in our life. This morning God uh, had a plan for Job. God's plan for Job's life included his perfect and permissive will. What is the difference, preacher, between the perfect will for God, for jo of God for Job and his permissive will of God for Job? One thing to remember is that when we think of permissiveness in our English uh, definition, we think of the idea that it suggests sanction. In other words, that if you permit something as an individual, you're sanctioning what's going on. But in God's permissive will, if you, would, if you allow me to use that word, in this permission of God, it suggests a not sanction, but it suggests allowance. In other words, that there are things, many things that God permits, but God doesn't sanction. For instance, God never sanctions sin. God never, ever sanctions sin. But God will allow sin, amen. He will permit sin. He will allow sin in your life, amen. And that's a work of our flesh. We understand that from, jo uh, from James. Well, the Bible said that we're drawn away, tempted and drawn away by our own lust and enticed. Uh, but listen to me this morning. God doesn't sanction that, but God does permit it. Just because God lets something happen, it doesn't mean that God sanctions it to happen. God permits evil at times, but He doesn't sanction it. When you think about God's will, you need to understand that it is a multifaceted teaching. One Bible scholar said this in describing this permissive will of God or the permission of God. He said there is what we might call God's permissive will. This is what God allows even though it may be sin. God allowed Joseph's brothers to betray him. 
and deceived their father so that he might bring the Israelites, few in number, to Egypt where God would spare them and they would greatly multiply. That's Genesis 50 and 20. Uh, you remember Joseph said that what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God allows man to reject the gospel, to willfully disobey his laws, to, pers to persecute the righteous and so on. He said, but in all of this, God is still in control. His purposes are being accomplished. Uh, listen, His de uh, uh, decretive will allows, often allows uh, or permits His permissive will. Men uh, in His permissive will, men to violate His uh, preferential uh, will, what gives Him pleasure or what God prefers. And then there is his prescriptive will, which is his word. He said God's permissive will is never outside his directive will. Uh, God permits those things which will lead to accomplishment of his directive will. We also know that, this, that testing is for a reason. It could be for conversion. It could be for correction. It can be for construction. But friend, listen to me. God's purpose will always come to pass. It may not be His perfect will. It may not be what He would want for it to happen in your life or mine. But friend, if God allows it, we have to understand that it is not just by the permission of God, but it is for the purposes of God to be revealed in our life. His perfect will is repentance for all of those but we, do not, uh, but we do know that some choose to perish in spite of His perfect will. And God will allow that. God's will is that none should perish. The Bible said, 1 Peter, excuse me, 2 Peter 3 and 9, that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's not God's will that people die and go to hell. It's not God's will that Christians die in their sin. It's God's will that they repent and come to know the Lord or get right with God. That is His perfect will. But then there is also God's prescriptive will, which is a part of His perfect will. And that will is found when we read and receive the Word of God. It's His correction. It's the truth that He reveals to us and uh, uh, that through His grace permits us to obey Him and to serve Him. Second Timothy, uh, God's not only... Uh, prescriptive well let me give you the scripture 2 Timothy 3.16 he said all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness the prescription uh, 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 will or prescriptive will of God uh, then, verse, uh, then we see in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 3 that his perfect will is that men are sanctified but we know that not all men will be sanctified not all men will walk in the way of God. And so we have to believe that God permits it and God allows it. He doesn't sanction it. He doesn't want it. It's not His perfect will. But friend, listen, the worst thing that God could ever do, and I fear in my heart, while everybody's blaming what's going on in the world on the devil, I feel in my heart and fear that maybe we ought to turn our attentions higher than the devil and realize that God uh, uh, will give you what you want. And the worst thing, Brother Glenn, God could ever do to us is just open the door and say, go on, have, have your way, do your life, do what you want to do. Hey, friend, there is a great example of that, and it's the prodigal son. 
Give me what's mine. Give me what belongs to me. God said, all right. Or excuse me, the dad said, all right. And he gave him that part that belonged to him. And, and there his son went off uh, uh, with all that inheritance and possession. And he wasted it. And he squandered it. That father not one time stood in the doorway. That father not one time went to the far country to drag him back. But he permitted his son. He allowed his son to go off and live that kind of life. Why? Because of the end of the story. The father had a purpose. The father, not only I believe in my heart, Brother Caleb, that that story is revealing that the father not only had a purpose for that younger boy, but he, uh, to, to bestow love and grace upon him, but he also had a purpose for that elder boy to bestow love and grace upon the one that didn't leave home, but, but in his heart the far country was, was there. First Thessalonians 4 and 3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. So we see the permission of his will, of testing, excuse me. We see the purpose of it. God might allow testing in your life to reveal to you where you are. God might permit it. God doesn't sanction it, but God might permit it so that you might wake up and look and see where you are with the Lord. Then we see not only that, but there's the pinnacle of testing. We need to recognize this morning that the optimal testing comes when our life is on the line. You remember Job? You remember what he endured? You remember the heartache, the hardship of his life? I, I've said this, and I still believe this. I believe that Job fully expected to die. I believe after chapter number 2 when those bulls came up on his body and he went over there in the ashes and he got down before the Lord and worshipped. I believe that he did that because he thought, Philip, any moment I'm going to be standing face to face with him. Any moment. And in the period of time some scholars believe uh, that it might have uh, lasted that period of testing might have lasted uh, maybe a year I don't know where they got that Amen. I, I, I've never seen that in the Bible you ask them where they got it I got it out of the Bible and they had to because it's not in the Bible they had to get it out of the Bible but they, they, they say maybe it lasted a year that, that pain and heartache and all of that and then we know that if there was several more years upon that there's the process of time uh, uh, of, of God giving him back double everything that he lost and with his children and God giving those ten children to him we understand that his daughters were more beautiful than anybody in the land and Job became the richest man twice, uh, uh, twice as rich as he was when it all started out but I believe here at the beginning of Job's life of Job's testing Job thought he was going to die but Job wasn't going to die God knew Job wasn't going to die. <laughs> Satan knew that Job wasn't going to die. God had said to Satan, he said, you can touch his home, you can touch his family, 
You can touch everything that he has. You can touch his body. You can make him as sick as you want to. But you don't have control over his life. You can't kill him. I know sometimes it feels like we're going to suffocate. I know sometimes uh, it feels like we're going to die. But can I tell you, Satan doesn't have control over that. The only one that has control over life and death is God Almighty. And you may feel like you're at the end. You may feel like it's all uh, that you can take but friend listen to me this morning God is still in control just in case you think I'm making it up let me read some quotes from Job the Bible said and Satan answered the Lord and said skin for skin yea all that a man hath he'll give for his life verse 6 of chapter 2 it said the Lord said behold he's in thine hand but save his life because see God's in control but when Job was struck down at the first news of all that had gone on, Job got down in the ashes and he said this in Job 1.21 as he stripped off his outer garment, as he, as he rent his clothes, he said, Naked I came into the world, and naked shall I return thither. He said, I came out of my womb, out of my mother's womb naked, I'm going to go back into the earth naked. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord had taken away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, friend, the, the, the truth is, is that Satan can throw all that he wants at you. But it has to be permitted by God. The very pinnacle of it, the very truth of it this morning is that my times are in the hands of God. Amen. That's Job 31, 15, by the way. Job, uh, David said in Psalm 31, 15, excuse me. David said, my times, my life, everything going on around me, everything going in me, everything going on in my life or in the world. He said, my times are in thy hand. Second, I want to examine this morning what it means to trust him through the test you would think that this would be a simple concept you would think that we would have this figured out by now <laughs> but I ain't got it figured out you would think this would be the simplest part of the Christian life and that is to just simply trust the Lord but yet Job said, though he slay me, yet, and that word yet, we looked at it last night in uh, Romans 5 where the Bible said, while we were yet sinners. And the word means literally while we were still sinners. While we were still in our sin. Job uses this word and he says, Though he slay me, still I will trust in him if it kills me, <laughs> if it ruins me in this world, if it wrecks everything that I've built up to trust in him. If I lose it all and I'm found, 
I'm left with nothing. The songwriter wrote, If I have the Lord, then I know I'll make it through. <laughs> and the song said, He's the only reason I live. But oh, what a reason. Hallelujah. Y'all just stare at me. That's all right. I'm going to enjoy my own preaching. Though He slay me, though what I'm going through does, does me in, it puts me under. Thank God Job said, I still will trust in him. He didn't say I'll just trust him. He said I'll trust in him. You know why Job could say I'm about to get happy on my own preaching. You know why Job could say that in the trial? Because it proved him in the triumph. Job had already proved that God was good. Job had already seen that God would do everything that he said he would do. And so much more the devil said Job only serves you because you've been good to him. And God said, all right, take all the good away and he'll still serve you. He'll still trust me. Hey, friend, can I tell you, the devil said, if you take the wife away, if you take the husband away, if you take all the glitter away, if you take all the glory away, they'll curse you. They'll deny you. They'll turn their back on you. God may say, well, do it. Go ahead. But I'll tell you, at the end of this thing, they'll still be trusted in me. They'll still be serving me. Can I just say this morning that he's worthy to be trusted and he's worthy to be served and he's worthy to be loved even if it kills me. I will trust him in him. I've heard the phrase those of you taking notes maybe at home or here trusting in the focus not only the testing that we face but there's the trusting in focus there's the operation of trust I've heard the phrase blind faith used over the many years that I've been in church and around God's people and I really believe that in many ways this is a, a misnomer for faith for true faith is not blind But true faith is intentional. It's intelligent. It's an act of volition. To trust God to have faith is an act of your will. I'm glad that God gives us faith to believe the gospel, to be saved. But I have to exercise that faith and trust in what God has revealed to me. It doesn't stop when we get saved. After we're saved, we still have to decide to trust the Lord. Job made a decision to this day. Job decided that in the midst of all the opposition and problems, I will trust in Him. It is willful, it's deliberate. It's just not something that happens. When we trust God, we do with the knowledge 
of what His Word tells us. We get in the Bible and we see what the Bible says. We run to the Word of God. We don't run to a counselor. We don't run to a psychologist or psychiatrist. And I know they may have their place and have their uh, time, but, but listen to them. We don't run necessarily. And I'm not talking about sickness. Please don't misunderstand me. But we don't run to a doctor. We don't run to this and we don't run to that. We don't run to mama. We don't run to daddy. We don't run even to times to a husband or to a wife or or to your children or to a friend but friend we make up our mind deliberately that we're going to run to God we're going to get in this book and we're going to study it we're going to read it and find out what God said and when the trouble comes we know the prescription we know what God says even when testing comes because of our own wrongdoing faith and falls intelligent agreement to the facts or the truth about God and accepting that truth on a personal level it's trusting and believing that God works on our behalf church I have to believe that brother Glenn I, I have to believe that even though it's not easy even though it's not something that you just say well this is simple This is something I can do. I want to tell you of all the things God's ever commanded me to do, Philip, rarely any of them was anything I could do. Akeem, it, a lot of times, most of the time, I've had to lean on his ability and just be available to him and just choose to trust him. Believes that God works on our behalf, that he gives angels charge over us, as David said. That God will unleash the powers of heaven. Remember what we preached last, I believe it was last Sunday, uh, that He is Elion. He is the God of angel armies. He's the God that has at His disposal and His use and for His service all of the heavenly host of glory to come and fight on your behalf and mine. <laughs> Hallelujah. And that is Romans 8.28 says He's working all things together For the good Of them that love Him And who are the called according to His purpose Not only the operation of trust But we see the object of trust Job didn't say simply I'll trust Him but Job said I'll trust in Him Proverbs 3, 5 said, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. He shall direct thy paths. In the midst of despair, Job said, I will trust in Him. When you trust in man, you get what man can do. You hear me? When you trust in man, what you're left with is only what man can do. I like this. I hope I get a good amen. I won't have to preach another 20, 30 minutes on it. But when you trust in God, you get all that God can do. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Glory. <laughs> Our faith is only as good as the object we place it in. And I've trusted him. And I've proved him to be true. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. The object of trust. Then there's the opportunity to trust. Every trial or test is an opportunity to trust God more. Now remember what I said. It may be just simply come your way because God has permitted it. God has allowed it. I think about what we're going through now in the world, in our country. Christians, and I mentioned something about it last Sunday, and I went back and listened to it on the podcast. By the way, we have a podcast, and, and uh, you ought to go and like and share and do all that with the podcast and listen to it and get, get other people to. But I went back and I listened to the podcast to make sure that I said what I wanted to say. And I did. Well, we got this idea, and I'm talking to our church now, try to maybe instill a little hope. We got this idea that we think that everything in God's timing and purpose and plan and all of that revolves around America. I got news for you. America should be revolving around Him. There was a time in history when People thought that the earth was stationary and that the sun, the moons, and the planets and all of that revolved around the earth. Then a man named Copernicus came along, done a little bit of studying with what limited ability he had in way of a telescope or camera. He found out that the sun was stationary. And that we revolved around it. Can I tell you this morning that when you have the idea that God's will, purpose, and plan and everything is revolving around what's going on in our world, you have a minimal view of God, and no wonder you feel like your world's falling apart. No wonder you feel like it's all out of control. Because when you look at it from that perspective, you're, you're thinking, God, what in the world are you doing? But when we realize that the sun is fixed, and that what, <laughs> and, <laughs> and that, glory, <laughs> And that we're not on a crash course toward any other planet. Not toward the moon, not toward the sun. But God has perfectly fitted and fixed it on an invisible axis. Tilted it just right. 
spun it just the speed it needed to speed uh, to spin so that it could change with the seasons and times and day and night and the hours and the minutes and the seconds of the day and then he gave it a little nudge and it started revolving around the earth uh, revolving around the sun and friend it's in perfect sequence hey man I'm telling you everybody got all up in arms and, and all about those planets crossing one another and man I tell you and that was a beautiful thing and that wasn't a scientist man we're trying to explain all of that I said I'll tell you what it was it was God one more time saying I can get the planets as close as I want to they could have collided into one another but it was my sovereign plan and my sovereign will to shine a light in glory to remind you I'm still in control honey your life and my life it revolves around him and it gives us an opportunity when the trials come in our life to trust him more and to lean on him more and to serve him better than we ever have before we're not on some crash course trusting by blind faith taking a leap in the dark no we're not in the dark listen Christian in America or anywhere else God's not up there trying to figure this thing out. <laughs> oh, I got quit. But see, so he ain't up there trying to figure. He knew. He already knew. I know we, we have that privilege to go and mark our little ballots and have faith and trust in that system. But I got news for you. God already knew. Now knowing that he knows and that he's in control, we have to also believe that he can stop it. He can. He can stop you from sinning. Oh yeah. He can stop it. But what about when he don't? What about when God just says, I'm going to allow this trial to come in your life. What about it, church, when the trial comes and the world begins to look on? Maybe that little whisper of the devil comes in your ear and says, why don't you just curse God and die? Won't you just end this? It'd be a lot easier. You just turn against God and let Him kill you. My daddy told me, my dad told me this when I surrendered the call to preach. <clears throat> I think it was October, I believe, 12th, 1997, if I'm not mistaken. On this side of the pulpit, the Grand Old Gospel House, about the same place Jacob got saved. I got in the altar and I surrendered my heart and life to Christ to serve Him and to preach His Word. And a lot of people came by and they said their things that they wanted to say. My uncle Sonny was there and he come by and gave me encouragement. Uh, there's others come by and give me encouragement. 
My, my, my papa came and he said it's a hard way, but it's a glorious hard way. We had a preacher named Brother Wayne Thrasher, and he gave me encouragement. Many through my life would give me that encouragement. But it's what my daddy said that has stood out to me. This is what dad said. He said, son, you've surrendered call to preach. I said, yes, sir. He said, it's preach or die. There was no pandemic clause in that. <laughs> there was no peril or problem clause in that. There was no Republican or Democrat clause in that. There was no capitalistic republic or socialistic, communistic country clause in that. He just said preach or die. I've tried to live by that. I've tried to base my ministry and my life and our family on no matter what happens, we're going to keep serving God. And if the end result of the affliction is death, I'll trust Him. 1 Peter 1 and 7 said that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Though it be tried or tested with fire, it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. We're given the opportunity now to trust Him. To trust in Him more than we ever have before. How are you going to fare Daddy used to use another scripture. Maybe I'll look at it. One of Daddy, another one of Daddy's favorite verses is where the Bible said that if the footman weary you, what will you do with the horsemen and the chariots? If you're wearied by the foot soldiers. But you know what the Bible said? It says that the trials and our faith trials of our faith and the troubles that we go through, the things that we face down here on this earth, the things that are seen are temporal, things that are unseen are eternal and those trials and heartaches and pains that we face it says that they're they're holding up for us a, a greater weight of glory you know when the greatest opportunity is going to come when as Squire Parsons sang my faith will end in sight <laughs> one day we'll be before Jesus maybe through the rapture and I'm praying for that and you may lay your head down on your dying pillow but that day's going to come what a day Charles E. Fuller, I'll tell you this and I'll be done. Charles E. Fuller once announced that he would be speaking the following Sunday on heaven. During that week, a beautiful letter was received from an old man who was ill. The following, I'm going to read as part of the letter that he wrote to the preacher. He said, next Sunday, you're 
going to talk about heaven. I'm interested in that land because I have held a clear title to a bit of property there for over 55 years. I did not buy it. It was given to me without money and without price. But the donor purchased it for me at a tremendous sacrifice. I'm not holding it for speculation since the title is not transferable. It is not a vacant lot. For, them, for more than half a century, I have been sending materials of which the greatest architect and builder of the universe has been building me a home which will never need to be remodeled or repaired. It'll suit me perfectly, individually, and will never grow old. Termites can never undermine its foundation. For they rest on the rock of ages. Fire cannot destroy it. Floods cannot wash it away. No locks or bolts will ever be placed upon its doors. For no vicious person can ever enter that land where my dwelling stands. It is now almost completed. Ready for me to enter in and abide in peace, in peace eternal. Without fear of ever being rejected. I hope to hear your sermon on heaven next Sunday from my home in Los Angeles. But I have no assurance that I shall be able to do so. My ticket to heaven has no date marked for the journey. No return coupon. And no permit for baggage. Yes, I'm all ready to go. I may not be here while you're talking next Sunday. But I shall meet you there someday. <laughs> Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Will I trust him? William Cowper wrote these words Jesus, whose blood so freely streamed to satisfy the law's demand. By thee from guilt and wrath redeemed Before the Father's face I stand To reconcile offending man Make justice drop her angry rod What creature could have formed the plan Or who fulfill it but God No drop remains of all the curse For wretches who deserve the whole No air is dipped in the wrath To pierce the guilty but returning soul Peace by such means so dearly bought. What rebel could have hoped to see? Peace by his injured sovereign wrought. His sovereign fastened to a tree. Now, Lord, thy feeble worm prepare. For strife with earth and hell begins. Confirm and gird me for the war. They hate the soul. That hates his sin. Let them in horrid league agree. They may assault. They may distress. But cannot quench. Thy love to me. Nor rob me. Of the Lord. My rest. Though he slay me. Yet. 
will I trust in him faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted we must lean on him acknowledge him in all thy ways acknowledge him did I read that earlier Proverbs 3 trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding but in all thy ways acknowledge him he shall direct thy path no I don't have it all figured out but I do know this I have him If I lose it all and I'm found with nothing, if I have Him, I have everything I need. Everything I need. I'm not calling the devil on the carpet. I wouldn't wish to suffer as Job did. But in my little suffering down here, I sure wish to have the trust that Job had I believe that's why James said you've heard of the patience of Job it wasn't that Job was you know good at it he had some frustrations even in that chapter he admits he says I've, I've reported my cause I've told God, I've told you, my friends, my dear confidants, I've told you, my heart, I've told you that I didn't do nothing to deserve this. This just came. And I've reported my cause before the Lord, and my cause is just. He went so far one time to say, Lord, if I could get in your presence, I'd plead my case before you, and I would hear the answer you would give to me so God said okie dokie I'm going to give you my answer Job the man that was leading the worship last night he said this before he sang his first song he said when God got ready to answer Job the first words out of God's mouth was this were you there Job were you there when I created all this were you there when I carved out the canyons formed the mountains told the sun where to stand were you there when I Isaiah said he measured the waters in his hands He said, Job, when I measured those waters and I poured them out there in the great seas and oceans, he said, could you have gone up to them and told them where to stop and don't come no further? Of all the amount of water that's on this earth, God ever took his hand back and every now and then, God will permit, God will allow. And you see the destruction that happened. God ever did that, man. We'd be in a mess. What are we, 75, 80% water in the earth? God ever just 
You know, you got so much water inside of you, if God let it get out of control, you'd drown to death. God holds it all in control. And we're going to freak out because Joe Biden's going to be our president. You listen to me, and I love every single one of our people. You will not hear from me or my family, and I don't want to hear from none of y'all. Anybody standing up, and I've heard some Christians say it and say he's not my president. I don't care how he got in there. They said the same thing about Donald Trump, and we got angry with them. And I tell you what we better do is we better get our faith and hope off of him and put our faith in Jesus. And if by legal Right, ever how it happened, Brother Glenn, they put him in. And it all, January 20th, he stands and is inaugurated, he will be my president. And I will pray for him. I may not like it. But I can't fight against what God allows. You don't think we deserve a Joe Biden? You don't think we deserve what we're getting? God blessed us for four years. And you know what we did? You know what Christians did? They made an idol out of God's blessings. Oh, Lord, I said I wasn't going to get political this morning, but I'm not. This is spiritual. We made an idol out of God's blessings. Amen. And it's been tested over the past year. And guess what? A lot of Christian folks failed. I'm going to put myself in it. We failed. God says no here just trust him when God allows something that seems to tear your world apart here just trust him as you trust God when you get on the other side of it you'll look back and you'll say man I sure am glad that he never left me he never failed me I'm glad I trusted him. We'll have to do that. Until the Lord comes and gets us, we'll have to do that. You stand into your feet. services so if you'll give me just a moment uh, of your time I would appreciate it concerning our services and moving forward I need to I want to hear from I want to hear from y'all for just a moment and uh, while we pray tonight I want you to whatever you need from God today excuse me this morning or this afternoon now while we pray you call out to the Lord they're at home. You cry out to them. 
Lord, I trust you. I trust you. Give me, give me grace to trust you more.